Well, if um, you've been with us the last uh, couple months, you'll know that we've been doing a brief kind of overview of the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've been looking at some of the problems that have been found in the Corinthian church and how the Apostle Paul addresses those problems. And we come to the last of the problems in the Corinthian church, and that problem was a pretty substantial problem. The Corinthians were denying the future resurrection, the resurrection of believers. So they were saying that our bodies will not be raised when Christ returns. And that was a problem. Paul addresses that problem here. So if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll be studying that tonight. And um, there's a lot there. And um, you might have some questions after the service, as I regularly say. We still have... um, our senior pastor, and we, Joel is on vacation, but we have a youth pastor here. I think either of them will answer the questions you have. The joke never gets old. But we'll look at 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start in verses 1, and then I will read to verse 34, and I'll cover most of what is said, but not all that is said. This is the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that is, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, He appeared to Cephas, a.k.a. Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We, have, we are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Jesus Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be all may be made alive." but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, 
when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, well, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some of you have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. Well, let's come before the Lord and, and thank him for the word he's given to us and ask for his help in understanding it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have the words of life. Uh, what a privilege it is for us to be able to hear from you, to know that you are present with us as we are gathered here, and to be instructed by your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that um, we might learn something tonight, that we might be changed by your word. And Lord, we do thank you that you comfort us uh, through this word, and, and just what a great comfort it is to know that, that death is not the end of the story for us, but that in Christ, we know that we have eternal life. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the other uh, night, Dewan and the youth had a trivia night where there were some basic questions that were asked and answered. Uh, I think he asked questions like, what is the national animal of Scotland? Does anyone know that? I think it's a unicorn. Or what was John Calvin's wife name, wife's name? You know, oh, wow. Some... Some people know this. Uh, or which team won the AFL premierships, most AFL premierships. And I want to open with a trivia question. And Dewan has agreed uh, to purchase a coffee for the person who gets this question right. And he actually agreed to that. So if you get this question right, go see Dewan. He'll give you a coffee. And here's the question. Who said these words? If someone dies, will they live again? If someone dies, will they live again? Who said that? Gerald wins the coffee. You can collect after the service. Is there life after death? That's really uh, the question that I want to ask you tonight. If the, is there life after death, death, and what will that life look like? That's the question. Some people have a certain answer to this question, like Richard Dawkins. He answered, he was asked this question, is there life after death? His answer was no. And basically, he said that your, your body will rot and you will become worm food when you die. That was his answer to the question. Other people, when asked this question, they make up their own answer. Like 43% uh, of Americans who said that when you die, you go up to heaven and you become an angel. and You receive your wings. Or 48% who said, we are reunited with our pets. And then there were 15% who said, once they get to heaven, they think... God will let them leave if they really want. So there are all these wacky answers that people have to that question. 
question, answers that are not founded in Scripture. But tonight I want to ask and answer three questions related to life and to death. The first question is, did Jesus rise from the dead? The second question, will we rise from the dead? And the third question, does it even matter? I think you know the answer to the first two questions. I think you know the answer to the third question. But let's be reminded again why it matters. So let's look at that first question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Did that happen? Either it did or it didn't. 22% of Australians believe that it did. That means that 88% are either unsure or they think it didn't. Does it even matter? The Apostle Paul says, yes, it does matter. Look at verse 3. He says in verse 3 that this is a matter of first importance, which means that the resurrection is essential to the Christian faith. Um, you need to believe the resurrection in order to be a Christian, and all Christians believe in the resurrection, both the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of those who die. This means that this is not a matter that we can agree to disagree on. It's not a matter of preference. We can't argue about this doctrine like we argue about, say, baptism or bishops or the color of the church carpet. We cannot argue about this. It is a matter of first importance. Jesus really died. He really rose from the dead. That's what Paul tells us here. Throughout history, there have been people who have said no. Um, and they've come up with a variety of theories. Some have claimed that the body was stolen from the tomb. The early religious leaders believed that. Others claimed that the man who was placed on the cross wasn't really Jesus. There have some, been some who claim that uh, all the disciples, you know, the, the 500 people who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead, they claim that they were all hallucinating at one time, which is scientifically not possible. And there were those who claimed that Jesus, was, Jesus swooned on the cross, meaning he fainted, and then he kind of just revived himself, which is also not plausible because we, there's something about Roman history that you should know. The Romans were really good at executing people, and so they made sure that the job was done uh, before they took Jesus down from the cross. So he really died, and he really rose. And what all these theories are trying to do is they're trying to explain away a miracle. Paul says this, uh, Paul says in verse 3 that he was actually dead, meaning his brain stopped, uh, his lungs were not moving, his heart stopped beating, he was well and truly deceased, and that happened on Friday. Then on Sunday, his heart started beating again, his lungs filled with oxygen, and his brain began to fire off electrical signals. He rose and he rose from the dead with a new and transformed body. Now, how do we explain that? Well, God knows. Uh, God knows exactly the mechanics of this all. A miracle happened on that day, a supernatural event, a, an event that defies the laws of physics, the laws of biology, and the laws of nature. Look at verses 5 to 8. In verses 5 to 8, we see that there were witnesses not just one or two or three witnesses. We know that Peter was a witness. He was one of the first witnesses. Uh, he's 
he's, uh, his name here is Cephas, but that's, uh, that's uh, another version of his name, uh, Peter. The 12 apostles saw him rise from the dead. We see here in the text that more than 500 people saw him. And then James, the son of Mary and Joseph, um, the half-brother of Jesus, saw him, and then the apostle Paul. So hundreds and hundreds of witnesses saw Jesus rise from the dead. In ancient Rome, in a court of law, you could prove that a crime happened if you had at least two witnesses. All you needed was two witnesses to prove that an event actually happened. And here, Paul is giving us more than 500 witnesses. So there's no reason that we shouldn't believe these witnesses. But we shouldn't forget, you know, as we consider the witnesses, I think that's a a really important thing to consider. We shouldn't forget the most important witness of the resurrection. The most important witness of the resurrection is God himself. The Spirit of God is the most important witness of the resurrection. It's the witness who matters most because God himself confirms to us as believers, to our hearts and our souls and our minds, as we read the account that this resurrection actually happened. And so there's the simple answer to the first question, did Jesus rise from the dead? The answer is yes. If you have questions, go ask Gerald or Duin. Let's move on to the second question. Will we rise from the dead? Will you, once you die, live again? That was Job's question, right? There's this really strange verse in Matthew's gospel. That's one of my, I'm fascinated by this verse. It's in chapter 7. If you want to look in your Bibles, you can look at Matthew 27, verse 53, just in case you don't believe me. At the moment when Jesus died, a variety of strange supernatural events occurred. The curtain temple was ripped in two. Um, The earth quaked. There was darkness. And something else happened. The tombs of believers were opened. And then we read that once Jesus rose from the dead, once he was resurrected, people in those tombs walked out. Did you know that? Did you know that on the day that Jesus was resurrected, he wasn't the only one who was resurrected? The Bible teaches that. That's in Matthew 27, verse 53. And we don't know much about this event. All we know is that it happened. So the scripture tells us that when Jesus was raised, there were others who were raised from the dead with him. Now, if you were a Corinthian, this would be really credible evidence, really. If, you, if, if Paul was to show them Matthew's gospel uh, and point them to that verse, that would be credible evidence from the scripture that not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but other people will rise from the dead with him. Now, coming back to our text here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, Paul reminds them that a future group of people so there are, there's this past group of people who rose from the dead. There will be a future group of people who will rise from the dead. We will belong to that group. Verse 52 says that in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, 
the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. So there will be a resurrection for us, according to the Bible. And if you believe the Bible is true, you can only say, yes, this will happen for you. For thousands of years of church history, every denomination has agreed on this truth. Uh, This truth has united all Christians everywhere, be it Lutheran, be it Anglican, be it Baptist, be it the early church. This is just a non-negotiable. We've all agreed on this single point that Christ rose from the dead and that we will rise from the dead, just like Jesus. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus is the proof that we will be raised. If you can believe in a God who creates galaxies and nebulas, if you can believe in a God who is able to create human beings out of the dust of the earth, if you can believe in a God who can part the Red Sea, then is it really hard to believe in a God who can resurrect you? Even if your body is cremated, even if your bones are scattered throughout the earth, uh, it is not too difficult for God to resurrect your body. And Jesus is living proof of this. Let me illustrate this. Think of a receipt. What does a receipt do? A receipt is, a pr- is proof of purchase. You know, imagine I, I want to watch the grand final, and I decide on an 88-inch TV because I want to feel like I'm at the grand final while I'm watching it. And so I purchase the TV without anyone's permission. I come home, I tell my wife, I say, I bought this TV. She says, I don't believe you bought the TV. I can pull out the receipt and say, proof, I bought it, right? I don't know if that's a great analogy or a bad analogy. And this didn't happen, by the way. Jesus is the proof. His resurrection is the proof of our resurrection. That's the point that Paul is making here. Actually, Paul uses a better analogy than any analogy that I could come up with. He uses this analogy. He talks about um, first fruits in verse 20. Let me explain that. Say you take a harvest. It's harvest time. And you go to the vineyard, and only a few vines are ripened. And you take a sample of those grapes, and you bring them home, and you enjoy them, and you get this taste, this indication of what the final harvest will be like and what it will look like. Well, in verse 20, the Apostle Paul uses that same metaphor to describe the resurrection. He says, the resurrection of Christ is like the first fruits of a harvest. It is the first sample of something that is to come. Just as Jesus' resurrection is like perhaps like a receipt, it could also be like a down payment or a sample of something better which is to come, or something just as good, I should say, that is to come. So when the end comes, we are told by Paul here that Satan will be conquered, death will be destroyed, the trumpet will sound, and we will have a resurrection like Jesus is. And so to answer that question, will we be resurrected? It's simple. Yes. That's the answer. And that brings me to a third and final question. Well, does it matter? Does it matter if we'll be resurrected? As I said earlier, the the Corinthians did not believe in a resurrection. They were saying that there will be no resurrection by the dead, and perhaps this view was kind of influenced by their culture, because they lived in a culture and a society and a world 
that was very skeptical about any kind of resurrection. Most of the religions in that day denied any form of resurrection. There were religions such as Gnosticism, which actually taught that your bodies are evil and that anything material is evil. And so there could be no resurrection because um, God would not raise um, something that was evil. Obviously, as Christians, we know that the body is not evil because God created it and he created it good. But Greek philosophers were saying that we're giving all these reasons why a resurrection would not be possible. In fact, when Paul argues or debates with the Greek philosophers in ancient Athens, they actually discuss the resurrection. And some of these Greek philosophers think that the resurrection is absurd. And so you have all of these different groups in the ancient world denying the resurrection. You have the Sadducees. They denied the resurrection as well. Even today in the modern world, uh, many people deny the resurrection. And it's, it's sad, I think, that there are, ac- there are actually professing Christians who deny the resurrection. Not true Christians, but professing Christians. Back in 2002, the Telegraph uh, British newspaper posted an article claiming that one-third of all clergy in the Church of England, one-third, one out of every three ministers in the English church, deny the resurrection. That, that in my mind, is just crazy. I, there's a, a, a woman in Canada. Her name is Greta Vosper. Um, she's Canada's first atheist minister, and she's a minister in the United Church of Canada. She doesn't even believe in God and, or the resurrection. Now, going back to that question, does it matter? Can you be a Christian and deny the resurrection? And the answer is no. Like I said, the resurrection is the heart of the Christian faith. It's the single most important doctrine. If Christianity were a body, the resurrection would be its heart. If you remove the heart, the entire body dies. So, the Corinthians were denying the resurrection, and Paul writes to them, and he says, okay, let's just, for the sake of the argument, hypothetically thinking here, uh, let's imagine a world where there is no resurrection. Not that Paul is actually saying there is such a world, but he's saying hypothetically, what is at stake if you deny the resurrection? What happens if you just edit the Bible and get rid of that little detail? And he gives us a number of implications here in our passage. And the implications are in verses 12 to 34, and I'll just briefly work through some of those implications. Implication one, if you say there is no resurrection full stop, if you are in fact saying that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if God does not raise dead people, as the Corinthians taught, if that's not part of his plan, then what happened to Jesus? If God doesn't raise the dead, then Jesus must still be dead. His bones would have to be somewhere in the Middle East. And Paul says in verse 13, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. That's implication one. Implication number two. If you get rid of the resurrection, you might as well take Christianity and throw it in the bin. See, what happens if you edit the resurrection out of the Bible? What happens if you remove all references to it? Well, then you are left with the story of a powerless man, a man who lived a good life, but nevertheless, a man 
who died just like everyone else. You'd be left with a man who had as much power over his death as the two thieves on his left and on his right. You'd be left with an impotent man whose bones are currently in the tomb. If we deny the resurrection, what are we putting our faith in? A dead man. A man who claimed to be God but was just merely a fraud. We are putting faith in a man who has this wild claim that he can forgive sins when he can't even conquer death. And look at verse 17. If that is the case or were the case, then our faith is futile and our sins are not forgiven. Verses 18 and 19 say this, that those who have died would have no hope and that those who are living are to be pitied. Which is really what a lot of people, how a lot of people, um, the attitude a lot of people have towards Christians. They pity us because they, they don't think the resurrection happened. They pity us for coming to church on Sunday and practicing our faith. And if the resurrection never happened, then we would be those who should be pitied because either we have been tricked or deceived. If the resurrection never happened, then what does that make Paul and Peter and the apostles? Verse 15 says that if the resurrection did not happen, he and his fellow apostles would be guilty of misrepresenting God. They would be liars. So that's implication two. Implication three. If there were no resurrection, millions of people would have died in vain. It's been estimated that, that over the last 2,000 years, 70 million Christians, 70 million, have been martyred. Now, whether that statistic is true or not, I think it's safe to say that many, 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 many Christians have been martyred for their faith over the last 2,000 years. Of the 12 apostles, 11 uh, were martyred. And you would think that if these apostles were lying, surely one of them would have caved. One of them would have come out and said, no, 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 wait, don't kill me. Actually, we were just lying. This was all a hoax. I don't, I don't believe this stuff. But the fact of the matter is none of them came out and said that. In fact, all of them were transformed by this message. Even Peter. You remember Peter. He denied Christ before uh, Christ died, before the resurrection. But it was after the resurrection that Peter was unwilling, uh, unwilling to even be crucified right side up. He wanted to be crucified upside down because he couldn't bear to be killed in the same way as his Savior. And so Peter goes from denying Christ to a standing for Christ in martyrdom. How does that happen? Well, he saw the risen Christ. Paul speaks of his own ministry in this chapter. He tells us, look at verse 9, in, in his younger years, he persecuted the church. And we, we know that he was also a rather prestigious Pharisee. He had everything to gain, he had nothing to gain and everything to lose by becoming a Christian, and yet he becomes a Christian. Why? Because he saw the risen Christ. Look at verse 30. 
so convinced of the resurrection, he gave up his reputation. He put his life in danger, facing death every day. On a regular basis, we know that he was persecuted, beaten, driven from towns and cities, and even imprisoned. And then eventually, he would lose his own life. If the resurrection never happened, then Paul would be a fool. And as we learn in, in uh, verse 1 and 2, um, he, would, he would have believed in vain. Implication number four. If there is no resurrection, then baptism, baptism is pointless. Now, we had a baptism this morning. Jonathan was baptized, and you might know that baptism symbolizes a lot of different things. It symbolizes cleansing from sin, but it also res symbolizes resurrection. What did Paul say in Romans 6? If we are been, have been buried into death with Jesus in our baptism, and just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, so we too may live to new life. So baptism symbolizes the resurrection. And if the resurrection never happened, then all of those millions of baptisms that have happened throughout the world would be in vain. They'd be useless. Now, look at verse 29. This is a juicy verse, an interesting verse that has perplexed me. Paul says, he makes this argument, he says, otherwise, the resurrection never happened. What do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? What does that mean? Is Paul saying that there was this practice in the Corinthian church where people were getting baptized and then they were, then after being baptized, they would go back and be baptized a second time for their dead relatives? And the answer is, I think most people say, yes, that was actually happening in the Corinthian church. But just because that was happening doesn't mean that it was right or that it was okay. Uh, Paul never says, yes, you should do this. This is a good practice. He never commands Christians to do it. Jesus, who instituted baptism, never commanded us to be baptized for the dead. But obviously, uh, in this church that was known to have many, many weird and wacky ideas and strange problems, people were baptizing, getting baptized for the dead. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying that's weird. He's saying this, this makes no sense. He's not condoning the practice, but he's saying the practice is inconsistent. The, Christ, the Corinthians were being baptized. They were receiving the symbol of the resurrection. And then not only that, but they were receiving the symbol on behalf of their dead relatives. And at the same time, as they were being, receiving the symbol of the resurrection, they were saying, oh yeah, and by the way, there is no resurrection which makes no sense. How can you receive the symbol of resurrection and at the same time say, no, there is no resurrection? And so Paul's pointing out the inconsistency between what they believe and the way they are living. Implication number five. There's six implications, just in case you're counting. So we've got two more. Life is aimless. There, there's this research group called the Pew Forum, and they did this study on the meaning of life. And they asked people, what gives your life meaning and purpose? And here are some of the answers uh, that were given. I'll quote them to you. 
One guy in the U.S. said this. This is what life is about. He said, life is about food, sex, money, uh, cars, politics, sunshine, clean tap water, books, and the Seattle Mariners. That's the meaning of life for him. An Australian woman said, uh, freedom to own a home, to raise my kids in safety, rich experiences in life to go on holidays, and to be free from fear. Um, and then there was this guy in Taiwan. For, you, for those of you who sleep in the service, this is for you. He said, I am happy when I can sleep as long as I want. One of the answers struck me, and this quote was like a gem in a coal mine, and it says this. When asked about the meaning of life, one girl said, the meaning of my life comes from believing in Jesus Christ and knowing the way to be saved. Her answer only makes sense if she believes in the resurrection. Look at verse 32. Paul says, if the dead are not raised, then what should we do? We should eat, we should drink, and we should be merry, for tomorrow we die. Implication number six, if the resurrection never happened, then death wins. Then death has the final say over all of us here. That means that some of us only have, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. That's what you have left if the resurrection never happened. And death, we know it's the great equalizer. It has the final say over the strongest man, the most successful woman, the most attractive person, the wealthiest CEO, the smartest academic. It doesn't matter who you are, death will take you. And if Jesus did not overcome death, if he was not raised from the dead, well then the sad reality is that death wins. And so Paul reminds us in verses 54 and 56, that because of the resurrection, death has been swallowed up in victory. It has no sting, because the sting of sin is death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as Christians, we are filled with hope, because we know that death is not the end of the story, that the resurrection did happen, so those are the implications here. Many of you know that um, over the last few months, uh, the pastors, we've all been conducting several funerals. And one thing that I notice at funerals are the faces of those who are sitting in the pews in front of me. And we see a lot of things from this vantage point, just so you know. Um, but at funerals, we see a mix of people and we see those who are sad and they're grieving, but you can tell on their face that they have hope. And you can see mixed among those people, those just with blank stares. You know, the mes message of the resurrection doesn't even, they don't care about it, it makes no sense to them. They really have no hope. Really the only hope they have are the memories that they made in this life. 
it's a good thing that this is true. It's a good thing for you. It's a good thing for me. Most people believe that we're living in a world that is headed towards death. When in fact, as Christians, we believe that we are living in a dead world that is headed towards life. And that brings us hope. It brings us hope for um, being reunited with our loved ones, but more importantly, it brings us the hope of being reunited with the one who matters most, our Savior and our God. And so I want to just recap the answer to those questions I asked at the beginning of the service. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes. Will we rise from the dead? Yes. Does it matter? Yes. It changes everything. If it did not happen, then Christianity is the biggest scam. It's the biggest hoax. It is the most elaborate lie that has ever been told. And an incredible number of people living in this world have been conned, and their faith is vain, and it's futile. But the resurrection did happen. Jesus is not lying in some Middle Eastern grave somewhere. He was raised from the dead. And here's where this truth meets your life today. I mean, it is comforting to know this truth. We've, we all know what the resurrection means to us. I can say that I would think that most people in this room actually would agree with everything that I've said. But I guess the question is, how does what I say, or what I've said about the resurrection and the implications of it, how does it actually meet you today in your circumstances as you live your life in this world? And I want to remind you that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who is with you and in you and who rules over you and who comforts you, and who protects you. In other words, he is a powerful God. And if he is powerful enough to create the world, and if he is powerful enough to take a dead body and raise it after three days, if he is powerful enough to take a cremated body one day and bring it back together, then he is powerful enough to meet you in your circumstances, whatever they are. And here's the final implication, which is an implication that we can live by. Remember that your God raises dead people. He's powerful. If he can raise dead people, then what else can he do? Then he can pardon your sins. Some of you might just be plagued with guilt. But you can know that your powerful God pardons your sin and forgives you. Um, some of you are struggling with unrepentant, relentless sin. And this God can kill your love of sinning. Some of you are feeling distressed. And this God can comfort you in your deepest distress. The same God who raises dead people has the power to take the most broken relationships and heal them. He's powerful enough to answer your prayers. And even though we're Presbyterians, we still believe that through prayer, God can work through healing. And that if it is his, within his will, he might answer that prayer for relief, for healing. He's a God who is powerful enough to change minds. And not only does God resurrect bodies, 
but He resurrects dead souls. He makes them alive. And so if you've been praying for the salvation of someone you love, that the God who raises dead people is powerful enough to change their lives too, as He is powerful enough to change your heart and your life. And so that's really where I want to leave you tonight. I want to leave you uh, here in this place filled with confidence in the God of resurrection power. May He strengthen your faith as you seek to live for Him and serve Him each day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you um, that Jesus is not in the grave, but He is seated at the right hand of you, our Father. That He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and to pardon sinners, and to welcome them into His kingdom. Lord, uh, we look forward to a day when we are free from um, these aching bodies. <laughs> we look forward to a day when we are reunited um, with those we love, but more importantly, we look forward to the day when we behold you, our God, our King, and our Maker. That will be the greatest day for you, O Lord, our greatest love. And so we just thank you for speaking to us through this word, and we pray that you might meet us today in your word, with your word, and that we might be assured of your power, which is at work presently in our lives. And so we pray this all in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.